My name is Nathan Schrock. Schrock. It's all one syllable. Schrock. And um, my wife Hannah is in the back um, with our son back there. Daniel, you can go ahead and turn your Bible to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I won't take the time now to answer questions, but please, if you have a question in your mind about uh, something about uh, West Africa, something about us, uh, anything like that, um, please hold it in your mind until uh, after the service. Um, we'd love to hear it. I'd love to talk with you and, and to answer your questions um, in that regard. Uh, but again, we're just we're excited to be here and um, I want to thank you for having us. We're in Romans uh, chapter 12. <clears throat> We're actually going to start in Romans chapter 11. And if you're here during Sunday school, um, as a pastor gave the excellent uh, application and everything from uh, Psalms chapter 37, and I was, I was getting scared because he was getting closer and closer to and cringing on my message this morning. But no, it was great. It was great. Um, but uh, wow, it was, that was... Um, there's so many lessons like that. If we just look deeper, and, and the deeper that we look, it seems like the more truth we find. And uh, that's what I want to do this morning. And uh, the few minutes that we have as we look at the book of Romans. Many times as we uh, quote the writings of Paul, uh, we do so one verse at a time. And uh, we'll take a verse and, and we'll use it. And it, many times it's very effective. The writings of Paul in the New Testament are very applicable to our lives. But many times I think we don't totally get, if we just look at one verse or two, perhaps we don't get the full uh, thought process that Paul is giving. And Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, many times uh, will have a, a process and a, a progression of thought that will span uh, many times uh, several chapters. And as, as, as we read through it carefully, we see this thought process that, that is inherent in the Scripture. Well, my goal today is to walk through this uh, passage here that we're going to look at and see that process and dig into it a little deeper and, and uh, see what uh, the thought process of the Apostle Paul, and again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and see what we can learn from it and that we can apply to ourselves today. So first of all, we're going to spend some time digging deeply here into what Paul is saying. And then secondly, we're going to do our best to figure out what it means to us and how we can apply it to ourselves. All right. So as we jump into it here in Romans chapter 11, in verse 33, I'm just going to jump right into it. The Apostle Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. First of all, we have to understand in this passage what Paul is talking about when he, he talks about the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Well, knowledge is a pretty, uh, pretty simple uh, concept in, in, uh, in, uh, in, what's the word I'm trying to think of? In, in, um, 
relatively, uh, I guess I would say it that way, relatively simple uh, in comparison to uh, maybe some other things. But uh, knowledge is, is uh, what you know. Is if I could give you a simple definition of knowledge, of course, knowledge, the word is very, very related to our word know. And um, so we're talking here about the knowledge of God. And we say, well, how much does God know? Well, that would take us a while to uh, list what God knows. Um, God, God knows everything. So we're talking about the knowledge of God. Wisdom here is perhaps a little more uh, slightly more uh, complicated concept, but as we talk about wisdom in our in our lives and and wisdom as a concept, many times it refers to or or the idea refers to um, how we apply our knowledge. It's um, how we use what we know. Is in our lives we use wisdom, and it refers to how we make decisions, how we make judgments. It's it's discernment. That's really what wisdom boils down to. And as it pertains to God, I would say that God's wisdom is what determines why He does what He does. It's God's wisdom is is much, of course, much higher than man's wisdom, but. God's wisdom ultimately determines what what is right and what is wrong. God's wisdom is always right. So here, as we look at these verses, Paul is the apostle Paul is making a declaration about the character of God. Oh, he says, this is an expression of astonishment, <laughs> utter astonishment. You know, perhaps, uh, perhaps you've seen something or, or uh, been somewhere that was astonishing. Maybe it made you say, wow. That's the kind of, the kind of uh, exclamation that Paul is making here. My parents recently, uh, just last week, they came back from a vacation. They were on vacation out west, and they, they loved to go out and, and see the sights. And this was the first time... <clears throat> Excuse me. This was the first time that they made it all the way to out to Arizona to see the Grand Canyon. How many of you have seen the Grand Canyon? Okay, a couple of you. Um, I, I was privileged to be able to go there several years ago, and they were my parents. It was fun hearing them come back from their vacation and telling us about what they saw. And they were they went to the Grand Canyon. Now, the Grand Canyon. From its from the, the from the bottom of the canyon to its highest point is over six thousand feet deep. Now you say well, six thousand feet. What does that mean? That is more than a mile. If you think about it, from the from the highest point to the lowest point is is significantly more than a mile straight down into the earth. And that's how deep the canyon is. Uh, a mile straight down. It's incredible. Depth, you know, it's one thing to look at pictures, and we've probably all seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. But uh, once you're there, standing on the edge, looking at it, there is nothing like it, and it's just you can't really get it in a picture. And uh, as you look at it, it's it's very interesting because it's so immense; it, it blows your mind how big it is, how deep it is. And you look down a mile into the into the earth, and there's a river down there, 
and it looks like you can't tell if it's like a little stream or if it's like the the Mississippi River size. You can't tell because it's so immense, it's so big, so monstrously huge that you cannot judge how big it is. It's beyond your comprehension. You look at the other side and you can't you can't tell if it's if it's a mile away or 20 miles away. It, it's too far. It's too big. You can't comprehend it. And I have to think that's almost the same idea that the Apostle Paul has in mind when he talks about the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. As we stand in awe of reading God's word, we as we look at the the incredible depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God, we have to stand there and with the Apostle Paul, we say, oh, the depth. It's immense. It's so big. It's so deep. It's so huge. We can't comprehend it. We can see it through his word, but we can't fully realize in our minds the the size of it, the depth of it, how big it really is. This is what Paul is saying about the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's so deep, so immense, that we can't look at it and say, I think it's about this big. I think it's, it's about that size. <laughs> we can't ever do that. It's totally beyond our comprehension. But as we move on here, I'd like to look at verse 34. The Bible says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? This is an interesting question. Of course, a rhetorical question. And um, thankfully, uh, I, I, well, I say thankfully, but in the, I'm not in a position right now where I have to uh, give a lot of counsel. And I say thankfully because I'm, I don't feel like I've achieved a, a high a position of experience or anything like that where I'm qualified to give a lot of counsel. Um, pastor, perhaps you, as a pastor, you uh, have probably have opportunity from time to time to give counsel, and uh, that's part of the role of a pastor. Uh, but what is counsel? Um, it's the idea of giving advice. Uh, s- someone recently, we were at a camp and um, it was a teen camp and, and a guy came up to me and he said, Hey, I want to talk to you. And, and, uh, he wanted to, to get some counsel from me. I was like, okay, well, um, he had, a, he had a, a young lady that he had his eyes on and, and was, was, uh, praying about her and, and he wanted my, my input on that situation. And, and boy, that is not a situation that I'm very comfortable giving advice on. Um, I just tell you, but that's the idea of of giving counsel. Is someone is is um, in a situation where they need advice on what to do? That's the idea of giving counsel. Well, what Paul is is telling us here, or saying to us, is a rhetorical question, and so the understood answer is no one who really thinks that they can give God counsel. That's Paul's question. Essentially, he says, Who's, who sits God down and says, God, this is what I think you should do? It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't make sense. It's a, it, it, the, the understood answer to Paul's question is no one can do that. No one can counsel God. Again, because his wisdom, his knowledge is so much 
deeper than ours. Yes, we can, we can see it. We can, we can uh, know the character of God from His Word, but we cannot compare our wisdom to His wisdom. It doesn't compare. So Paul is simply making the point that no one's smarter than God. And it's a simple statement. And you say, well, you might, might say, well, we didn't come here, or we, we didn't uh, make the trip all the way here today for you to tell us that, that uh, no one's smarter than God. But, but take note, because from time to time in our lives, we start to get the idea that we're smarter than God. Very subtly, it creeps in. And uh, we start to think that way. But God is the final authority. No one can give God counsel. He is the one, uh, he is the one that, that says what is right and what is wrong. No one can tell him what to do. That's really what we're learning here. As we move on into, into verse 35, uh, or excuse me, 36, we're going to uh, move right... Uh, let's take a few minutes in verse 35. Uh, I think we have the time here. Verse 35, uh, Paul says, Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? Now this is an interesting, uh, another rhetorical question. Paul asks the question, Who has given to God, and it will be paid back to him? Have you ever been uh, given something, and then you found out that the person that gave it to you was expecting something in return. <laughs> That's not, not always a great surprise. Uh, n- not always a pleasant surprise to, to find. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I was the worst about this. When I was a kid, I would go, I would, uh, go to a friend's birthday party, as you do when you're a kid, and uh, I would bring a gift and of course, something that my parents had bought for me to to bring as a gift to the party, and it was I don't know a a, a ball or a Nerf gun or something exciting, you know, uh, a water uh, super soaker or something like that. And um, I would, you know, of course, excitedly watch as this as my friend would open the gift. And uh, later on, after after the gifts were done and everything, and after the the cake was eaten and whatnot, I'd say, Hey, um, can I play with that? Uh, that toy that I just gave you. After all, I gave it to you. <laughs> that is the worst. Like kids, don't ever do this. Okay. Uh, that is, the idea is that when you give something, you're giving it away. You're not expecting something in return. Well, uh, as as Paul is talking here about the. Uh, about God, he says, no one gives something to God and expect something in return. And, and this is something that I've, I fear that we may, we may often do. We say, God, you can, you can have me and you can have my life and, and you, can, you can do whatever you want, but hey, I expect you to be, be on call, be my, uh, my person that I come to, to to ask for something every day for, for my, my wishes and, and my plans. Uh, to be fulfilled. And that's not really the way it works. Again, Paul, the Apostle Paul is just, he's strengthening in our minds this concept that God is not uh, at the control of any person. That God is not under the authority of any man. That's really the idea that we're getting in these verses here. You don't give God a loan and then come back later to collect on it. That's not the way it works. 
Because God is the one in control. If you gave him something, it's his. Well, as we move on to verse 36 here, things become a little more, uh, become more and more clear as we see what the Apostle Paul has to say. He says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. This is where Paul really boils it down. We're really down to the bedrock now, the bedrock of his thought and the basis of what he's saying here. If we look at these terms here, of him, and this is these are all uh, uh, prepositions, and we won't we won't take time here to to dig super deeply into uh, what the implications of each one here. But um, essentially, the idea is that the all things, as as Paul is talking about here, all things are of God. They're from Him. They're through Him, and they're to Him. Now, it, this. It's a sort of a, a difficult uh, mental image to wrap your mind around, but the the so I'm I'm trying to explain it to you the best I can here. When we talk about th- something being of Him, of God, the uh, the preposition that's used here in the original language really means out of. It means proceeding from or coming from. It means that God is the source. And, of course, as we know, God is the source of everything that we know. God is the source of reality. Uh, God is the source of the creation. And, and this is such an important point because God's authority and His supremacy are based on His role as the Creator. Say, what are you trying to say, Nathan? What are you talking about? Well, if you create something... Don't you have control over it? I, I was preaching recently to uh, some kids in a VBS, and I gave them this illustration. And I think it's, it, it was very applicable to the kids, and I think it's applicable for adults, too, because it captures the mental image of what I'm trying to say here. If you uh, play with Play-Doh, uh, how many of you play with Play-Doh? Okay, a few of you. I don't anymore, Okay. I'll tell you that. Not on a regular basis. But anyway, um, if you're playing with Play-Doh, you know, it's real fun. You can make any number of different things. You can roll it up and make a snake. That was my favorite thing to make because it's about as artistic as I get. But uh, you can, you can uh, you, maybe you form a, a nice a, a bird maybe or a, a giraffe. I don't know what you make with your Play-Doh. But when you finish and you put all that hard work and time and and uh, um, effort into making that Play-Doh creation, that beautiful piece of work of art, um, what would you say if the thing totally went out of control and the, the, the Play-Doh started flying everywhere of its own accord, just, just running around the room out of control, and you said, stop, stop, I can't, I can't control it anymore. The Play-Doh's going everywhere all, all by itself. You say, well, that's ridiculous. That's, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. My point is that when you make something, you have total and complete control over it. And when we talk about God as, as the creator of the world, as the creator of the universe, as the creator of us, the creator of our minds and our souls, he has complete control over us. 
He, he is the one that's in, in charge. And so his, the idea of God being supreme and he's the one that makes the rules is directly tied to the idea of him being the creator. Now, when we look at it in that light, when the Apostle Paul says, of him and through him and to him are all things, the, the point that, or the, the thought that I see here is that everything, the focus of everything is, is pointed toward the Lord. Now he expands on that, he expounds that a little bit more in the next phrase. To whom be glory forever. Amen. So the Apostle Paul is telling us, what is he, what is he trying to say? Essentially what he's telling us, and, and this is very important, I want you to get this. What the Apostle Paul is telling us is that the entire, the creation... Is the purpose of it is to bring glory to God. It's create. It came from Him. It now exists through Him, and its goal is to Him, and it it brings glory forever. That is, I mean, there's to to. Uh, to sum up a worldview, I think that that pretty much does it. If we can view God as the perp, as as the, the the glory going to God as the purpose of creation, that pretty much sums it up. So what we've seen so far to to recap, God has immense wisdom. He he has vast knowledge that's deeper and larger and more immense than we could possibly ever comprehend. His mind is beyond our understanding. No one tells God what to do. He's he's the creator, and therefore he is in charge. But now we see that all things are of him, through him, and to him, and the purpose of literally the entire creation is to bring glory to Him. Now that was the introduction. Alright? That was, that, was, that was the first half. But we're going to keep on rolling here and we'll be done quickly. Now with that whole thought process rolling, as Paul has gotten that ball rolling now, he's, he's talking about the character of God, who God is, what makes God who He is, His immense wisdom and knowledge, and His glory... Paul rolls right on through into the next verse, which is where our message is. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The word beseech here is, uh, some places it could be translated as, as uh, implore, ask, uh, request, or even beg. Paul is, is making an earnest plea. He's making a sincere request, a vital request. This word beseech, it's nothing, to, it's nothing to mess around with. He's saying, hey, listen up, listen up. This is important. I'm begging you, pay attention. Mind you, he's writing to brethren. He calls them brethren. These are the people of the church at Rome. 
He's saying, sit up and pay attention. I have a serious request. The word therefore is easy to just kind of brush over without actually realizing what he's saying. But it's, it's very important here. It's a very, very important part of this passage. This word therefore is a term of logic. It's a logical term. Um, if we wanted to make a logical statement, uh, many times, uh, I, took a, I took a class in college about logic. Now, that does not mean that I think logically, okay? That means that, um, that I struggled through the class and um, I made it through and I understood a couple of things about logic, okay? Um, no, it, I, I, I enjoyed it, but um, when we talk about logic and logical process, um, there's a thing called a syllogism where we say, okay, this is true, that we know this is a true statement, we know this is a true statement, so when we put them together, Therefore, we can tell that this other thing is a true statement. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a good example. We might say, um, well, it's, it's for, for sake of example, if we make the statement, um, Betsy is a cow, we say, uh, that's our first statement, and we say also that all cows are brown, uh, and that's our second statement, we could then make the... the uh, come to the conclusion therefore Betsy is brown you, everyone see what I'm what I'm saying here the, my, my point that I'm telling you is that therefore is a logical term it's saying because of this this is true okay now what what is Paul telling us Paul is begging us to do something based on his previous statements about God and who God is Essentially what he's saying is because of all these things, all these things that I've just told you, because of that, therefore, I beseech you, I beg you, I have a request. Not only that, but he says, by the mercies of God. Have you ever experienced the mercies of God? I hope you have. If you've ever come to a, a, a saving knowledge and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you've experienced the mercy of God. The mercy of God is, is, is demonstrated when He, though He sees us as sinners, as we are vile and, and uh, repulsive in His sight, He shows mercy when He when the the blood of Christ is applied to us and, and instead of of being punished for sin and and wickedness instead we are we are rewarded with a a relationship with God so that is what we're talking about the mercy of God so Paul what what this means is that what Paul is about to ask, the request that he's about to make, it's based on God being the sovereign creator, the one who made everything to bring glory to himself, the God who is in control, the God who knows everything, the God whose wisdom is infinitely deep, and finally it's based on God's mercy. Because of all this, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren. Now what's the request? This is important. What's the request? He says that ye present your bodies 
a living sacrifice. I beseech you, brethren, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. This phrase, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, is just packed with meaning. There's so much here that we could talk about. But I think it's important to realize, first of all, what is a sacrifice? When Paul talks about something being sacrificed, the mental image that I get uh, that comes to my mind, of course, is that of an animal uh, being sacrificed on an altar. And uh, I looked up the the definition uh, just for to to see what you know just to, just for an idea. Um, one definition that I thought was pretty good from a dictionary um, it said that a sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. Let me say that again: an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. In this case, as Paul is talking to believers, talking to us, in this case, the thing being given up is ourselves. He's talking about presenting ourselves to God as the sacrifice. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Another thing I see here is that it it's a voluntary sacrifice. It's obvious from the word present here that it's, it's, it's something that's being done willingly. The picture that Paul is giving in this, these, these few words, the picture that Paul is conveying and, and bringing across to us is that the, 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 the picture of the believer willingly laying down his life on the altar and giving it to God, willingly, saying, Lord, this is yours. You're more important, so I'm giving it up for you. You can have it. Now let's quickly look at the, the remainder of this verse, and, and we'll be finished. Paul says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God. These are descriptive words that Paul uses in reference to us giving ourselves to God. This is important because it tells us how we are to offer ourselves to God. You know, we are living today in a world of people that don't realize the importance of holiness. Uh, I, I think many, maybe the majority of, of churches across America are full of people who don't realize the importance of holiness. And, and my focus today is not to, not to dwell on this subject, but it's in this verse. And so we, uh, I think it's an important part of what Paul is saying here. The idea of holiness is being set apart. It's being separate. God said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Talking to his people. He said, I want, because I'm holy, I want you to be holy. Being an acceptable sacrifice to God requires us to separate ourselves from the world, to bring, to set ourselves apart, and set our, and to to separate ourselves to God. 
It's really what I glean from, from what Paul is saying here. He says that an intrinsic part of us presenting ourselves to God as a sacrifice is our separating ourselves from the world. Separating ourselves from unholiness. Sadly today, I think many people believe that they can be that they can serve God without being separate from wickedness. James said <clears throat> that to be a friend of the world is 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 enmity with God. The word enmity is is basically means to be God, make God your enemy. So there is no God leaves no room in his word for the concept of, of us that we can be uh, aligning ourselves with the world and uh, immersing ourselves in the world and uh, adopting um, all the wickedness that's in the world and yet be serving God. Those two concepts are not compatible. This whole, the entire concept of of laying ourselves down on the altar and giving ourselves to God, it requires that we set ourselves apart from the world, from from unrighteousness and from wickedness. Finally, in this verse, Paul says, "Which is your reasonable?" Service, And this is where we're going to park and finish it off today. He says, I, I'm asking you, I'm begging you that you give yourself to God, set yourself apart from the world, give yourself wholly and completely to God. And then he says, and by the way, this is a reasonable request. He says, this is your reasonable service. Something that's reasonable just makes sense. It's something that's logical. It's something that it, 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 it computes, if I could say it that way. It, it makes sense. Maybe you've, some of you may have had this experience where you've gone to buy something and uh, you really want it, you really like to have it, and you look at the price tag and you realize it's totally unreasonable. Uh, in, over in Africa, it's very interesting. Uh, so many times, and it uh, is one hurdle maybe to, to overcome. Uh, if you're white, you're seen as being filthy rich. And uh, because you're from America and you, you came over there. And, and anyway, it's just something, a part of their culture. And it's, it's really, uh, anyway, if, a, if a, a white man walks in the door of a shop um, we've been told, or uh, my wife, family, you know, talk with folks and and uh, some of the the uh, the uh, vendors and, and people that sell things have told them, yeah, when uh, someone that's not African, a white person walks in the door, we automatically triple the price of everything. Uh, if you ask how much it costs, it's going to be triple what we tell everyone else, um, and because many times they'll get it. That's uh, that's what. The, you know, it's just the way it works. It's just it's a barter system, and uh, we just don't have that in America. 
And uh, so I don't complain too much about it. Um, it's just, it's just a fact of life. Uh, it's just the way it works. Um, and and you can you can uh, talk with them, and, and most of the time get the price back down to what it's supposed to be. But anyway, um, it just doesn't make sense, and it's not reasonable, right? We were recently in a mall, and uh, just kind of walking through, and there was a home furnishing store. I don't remember what it was called or exactly what how you define it. But they had all kinds of furniture and very very nice things, and uh, I was looking at this chair. It just looked like an average like just a chair you have in your living room, you know, nothing real fancy about it. it. Didn't look that extraordinary to me, but I looked at the price tag and it was like $2499, like $2400 for this chair that you just like it's just a regular chair you sit in your living room. That is beyond my comprehension. Paying well essentially $2500 for a chair to sit in my living room. You know, maybe some of you do that. I don't know. If you do, I'd like to talk with you um, afterwards. I'd like to come sit on your chair. But anyway, um, my point is that is totally unreasonable. It doesn't make any sense at all. But when Paul talks about us presenting ourselves to God, handing ourselves over and it totally and completely setting ourselves apart to God, you know what he says? It just makes sense. It's reasonable. So as we sum everything up here, tie it all together, what did, what did Paul just tell us in these verses that we read? Remember how Paul started off. He said, based on God being the, the sovereign creator, the supreme being of the universe, the one who made everything to bring glory to himself, the one who's in control of everything. He's the one that knows everything. He's the one whose wisdom is infinitely deep. And he's a merciful God who shows us love and kindness. Based on all that, Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, I ask you, give yourself to God. Give yourself totally to Him. Set yourself apart from the world. Make yourself an acceptable sacrifice to God. And lastly, he says, by the way, this is reasonable. It just makes sense. This is what it all boils down to. It just makes sense that we serve God because of who He is. Why does it make sense for us to yield ourselves to God to be His servants? Simply because of who God is. It's reasonable because because of the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's reasonable that we put ourselves in His hands. Because His ways are so much better than our ways. His ways are past finding out. Therefore, it's reasonable that we put ourselves in his hands. Because he's the creator. He understands how creation works. He has infinite wisdom. Therefore, it makes sense that we put ourselves in his hands. Because God knows everything. Because he's full of mercy. Because God designed the entire creation, He designed us to bring glory to Himself. It just makes sense 
that we put ourselves in his hands. That we lay ourselves down as a sacrifice and say, Lord, you're in control. You have the wisdom. You have the knowledge. You know what's going on. I want you to have me. Complete control over me. I like the way a pastor said it this morning. In Sunday school, he said, our, our lives are, I don't remember the exact words, he, but he talked about being overshadowed, the steps of a good man being overshadowed by a, an umbrella of the, the uh, sovereignty of God. And it's really what we're talking about here because God is so powerful, He's so in control, so wise, and so full of mercy that it just makes sense that we give ourselves to Him. We allow Him complete control of our lives. We say, Lord, I want you to have it all. It's really what it's all about. As we head overseas into to missions, uh, we, the reason that we're doing that is because we want God to have complete control of us. And as we followed him step after step, this is where he's led us to. He says, this is what I want you to do. And we say, okay, Lord, you're in control. We'll do what you want us to do. Recently, we were at a church and, and uh, talking with a, a lady. And she said, uh, I just I admire you. And I don't say this by like bragging or, or anything. But she said, I just, you know, I admire missionaries for their... Uh, their level of, of uh, I don't remember exact words, but their level of commitment to God. And you know what? I think it's, it, it's a, a sad testimony because I wanted to tell her, you know what? <laughs> we, there's nothing about us that makes us, we don't have to, there's no higher requirement of commitment for us than there is for you. The people, all Christians should be committed to serving God with their lives. So that's my, my challenge today. No one Christian is, is held to a higher standard of commitment. We are all equally required to commit ourselves to God, and it just makes sense. Because of who God is, because He's in control, it makes sense for, our, for us to hand ourselves over to Him and say, God, you take control. I want you to have my life.